And now it's time for us to discuss more of these headlines and simple keywords with Adam joining us via Zoom. Good morning, Adam. Happy Friday, Lena. Happy, Happy Friday. Friday. Happy Friday as we let out a sigh of relief. Uh, let's jump into our keyword news portion of the day. We're going to try to clarify some of these major headlines for our local listeners. Uh, this is our first pick of the day. Human rights report. So the South Korean government has released a report on human rights abuses in North Korea, a 450-page report, in fact. It is the first time such a report has been released to the public, a move that is expected to infuriate North Korea. Tell us the details. Right, so the unification, it's not a first report as such on the, on the matter. It is the first that's been made public. The unification ministry has actually been compiling the annual report since 2018, uh, but... The previous Moon Jae-in administration kept uh, them hidden to the public, citing protection for North Korean defectors. And of course, with the switch in administration, uh, President Yoon wants to get it out into the public. Now, uh, the latest report features in-depth interviews with 508 North Korean defectors from 2017 to 2022 who had witnessed or experienced serious uh, human rights violations while living there, according to them anyway. Now, according to the report, North Korea carries out public executions of people accused of drug offences, distribution of South Korean videos, or uh, engaging in religious activities. I mean, most South Korean videos, including K-pop or uh, Korean dramas and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Now, the regime also carried out the uh, secret execution of a homosexual man in 2014, and also a woman who was accused of prostitution um, in 2013. So you just you can see how detailed these reports are, right. uh, according to these defective testimonies. Now, women and children were, um, excuse me, more susceptible to violence, but the execution of minors and pregnant women uh, having been reported. The regime has also subjected women in detention to inhumane conditions that include torture, forced labor, sexual violence and starvation. Uh, the Unification Ministry said it has identified a total of 11 political prison camps with five currently in, operational, uh, in operation. It also details that the regime carried out human experiments with officials at the, uh, what's known as the Ministry of Social Security, uh, allegedly blackmailing families into letting their relatives become human test subjects under the threat of sending them to prison camps, so basically giving them no choice. And mm. human subjects were reported to have secretly been fed sleeping pills and forcibly taken to a facility uh, called Hospital 83 to undergo various experiments. And disabled people, uh, particularly those with dwarfism, were also deprived of their um, human rights and had medical procedures uh, conducted on them against their wills. Uh, and President Yu said the report's publication should better inform the international community of what is going on in the North, hence why they have been made public for the first time. Mm. Now, while the South Korean government's findings could not be independently verified, they were kind of sort of in line with UN investigations uh, and reports from non-governmental non, uh, organizations. Mm. Of course, I think we've been well aware of the human rights violations in North Korea. This is not the first time we're hearing these allegations, as you've said, based on several UN reports have indicated similar mm. results in the past. Now, the fact that the South Korean government has released this report, I, I think that signs a signal to North Korea and we'll have to wait for the reaction on that front. Right. All right, let's move on to our second keyword of the day. Fighting corruption. 
So South Korea has hosted the Indo-Pacific meeting of the Second Summit for Democracy in Seoul. The meeting focused on wiping out corruption. On paper, that sounds ideal. How we get there is always the tricky question. So what's the latest? Yeah, I mean, the question itself is very easy, isn't it? I it's mean, massive, too. Right, right. <laughs> it's pretty massive. And it's, uh, uh, it's uh, <laughs> trying to get these countries working together to fight corruption and uh, mm. uh kind of rein in on uh, China's influence in the region as well, because it was a specific kind of Indo-Pacific uh, right. meeting in this uh, second uh, summit for democracy, uh, which is uh, going on for two days. Uh, now, President Yoon told the gathering uh, at the Shilla in Seoul, which was actually a face-to-face kind of in-person gathering, that uh, corruption erodes freedom, putting democracy at a greater risk. Uh, Yoon said his government would give back to the international community what South Korea received in the past uh, through a new initiative dubbed shared vision for democracy and prosperity. Now, it aims to aid countries in need of financing tools, digital and non-digital, as they fight corruption. $100 million, apparently, has been earmarked uh, for the three-year project. Um, Yun also touted democracy as a community's decision-making system that guarantees freedom and human rights. Uh, But he noted that the health of democracy uh, has been at risk of getting weaker due to the spread um, of false information. Also, meanwhile, Foreign Minister Park Jin said in a separate speech that the meeting lays the groundwork for adopting what he called the Seoul Declaration. Now, he said it embodies a shared resolve to prioritize the fight against corruption uh, and reaffirm commitment and democratic values. So a lot of vows and a lot of... um, I like to call it pomp, but uh, yeah, sure. there's a, a lot of uh, big ambitious promises, whether they will be adhered to and whether all countries are on board and whether the details will be ironed out. That's a completely different matter, but we'll have to see mm. uh, what comes out of this two-day summit. All right. With that, we move on to our third keyword from the economy section. Zero percent growth. That looks peculiar, right? I, I think yeah. we're so used to always seeing at least some growth. Uh, the state-run uh, think tank, Korea Development Institute, has again warned that the nation's economy could slow uh, practically to a standstill in 2050 unless its falling productivity is elevated. So the issues we talk about almost regularly, we need to rectify them with more solid policies or else. Or else by 2050, we're looking at a yeah. 0% growth. That is quite a, a, a nomin, a non, uh, an ominous and uh, quite scary figure, isn't it? Zero percent. Even if we go into like the zero point yeah. decimal points, uh, it sounds a bit uh, scary. But uh, <laughs> being flat out at zero uh, mm. just paints uh, a picture of how gloomy the economy is heading with the demographic uh, issues that Korea is facing at right. the moment. Now, an official... Uh, at the KDI, told a local conference that growth could be around, more realistically, around the uh, half a percentage uh, range in 2050, but it could even fall to 0% if uh, the country is not careful. Now, the projection is basically the same uh, as the KDI's report released late last year in November, in fact, which made the same assessment. And uh, the report estimated the nation's economic growth rate is likely to be just 1.3% in the 2030s, 0.7% in the 2040s per annum in the wake of a rapid decline um, in the working age population. Now, the KDI said gross to, uh, GDP product, uh, GDP growth in the coming decades will gradually fall after posting 1.9% per annum between 2023 this year uh, and 2030. Now, the Institute also predicted the figures 1.3% and 0.7%, uh, 0.7% uh, would change according to coming situations, 
suggesting both positive and negative scenarios according to the extent of productivity growth, which is affected by a variety of sectors uh, such as labor, finance, and regulations on businesses. Now, in a negative situation where productivity would be stalled, the yearly GDP growth is projected to stay at 0.9% in the 2030s, 0.2% in the 2040s, if the rate of prediction growth, uh, production growth rather, is similar to that of the 0.7% levels that were seen in 2010, then the KDI believes 0.0% um, GDP growth uh, for 2050. Now, it said the nation needs to actively conduct a structural reform in the economy in a bid to ease unfavorable effects from the expected demographic change and raise productivity. Uh, it suggested that the nation pushed for deregulatory policies, foster an environment in which women and seniors uh, actively participate in economic activities and actively absorb foreign manpower, in their words. And mm -hmm. in addition, it said the nation uh, needs to bolster the quality of workforce as well via uh, education reform. So that might be a bit of a longer term kind of um, um, goal. Right. Uh, but for the time being, basically regulations, uh, red tape uh, and mm. including foreign manpower, mm. bringing them in uh, uh, are the issues at hand that are most uh, urgently need to be fixed. Uh, but of course, low birth rates, uh, low fertility rates, the chronic issues that Korea has uh, been experiencing over mm. what has been, I can't even count the years now, mm. um, but uh, th that sort of change is kind of leading to these concerns. So. It's a, there's only so much the government can do, but the, these think tanks are saying that the government should do what it can nonetheless. Right, right. They still have to form policies that's forward thinking so we can adapt to these changing demographics. You're right. Um, mm. There have been efforts to reverse a declining birth rate, uh, none of which was deemed successful or very effective. Uh, mm. So maybe the way we view this needs to change. As you've rightly mm. pointed out, diversifying the workforce is, is crucial, it seems, and not not all women who are able to work are working. Should conditions mm. change so that they would have the option, bringing foreign workers, making sure that policies support their life here as an immigrant, these kinds of things going forward. That's right. I mean, Korea is certainly a, a country that is highly dependent on manufacturing right. uh, and productivity and exports. So, of course, that kind of industry and that sector is something that needs to be spruced up quite a bit. Um, but, uh, of course, the UN administration announced, uh, you know, new measures, uh, policies and uh, mm. ways to get around uh, or uh, resolving the low birth rate issue uh, mm. that changes uh, different uh, uh, quite substantially from uh, the previous administration. But mm. uh, we'll have to see if it works mm. uh, uh, going forward and uh, see what effects it has. All right. So as we talked about on the segment, the National Security Advisor Kim Jong-un suddenly stepped down. And since then, we're getting more uh, updates about the reshuffle that's been happening. This is our fourth keyword of the day. Reshuffle. Sorry to steal your thunder, but I couldn't think of another word for reshuffle. Well, <laughs> reshuffle is a reshuffle. What can you do? <laughs> the administration has reshuffled its diplomatic team within a day after the resignation of former National Security Office Chief Kim Sung-un. What's the latest on this front? Yeah, so it seems to be that uh, the administration is going to, you know... Uh, Rushing, or well, I wouldn't say rushing, but trying seemingly to at least, this, right? Seemingly trying to get this uh, team or diplomatic team uh, back on track. Now, the first vice foreign minister Choi An Dong has reportedly been tapped to be the new ambassador to the United States. Not confirmed just yet. Uh, this came after the current envoy to Washington, Cho Tae Yong, was named the new 
National Security Advisor to replace Kim Sung-han the previous day. That assignment also came quite quickly as well. Now, Kim resigned Wednesday amid media speculation uh, that he will soon be replaced. That spread a whole lot of different controversy, mm. which we won't get into too much. Now, um, that set off a rapid succession of appointments, though, ahead of June's state visit to the U.S., which is less than a month away. Probably why the UN administration is hastily moving to kind of get the team um, fully comprised. Now, the uh, new appointments realign the UN government's top diplomatic and security team tasked with communicating with Washington and dealing with the North Korean nuclear issue. So it seems also that UN wants to uh, get its team uh, filled with people who are well-versed in North Korean issues as well as with diplomatic issues with the US. Now, Choyon Dong is considered well-versed in North Korean nuclear affairs and is also familiar with working with the United States. He previously served as Minister of the South Korean Embassy in Washington and also handled the North Korean nuclear issue as well. Uh, Seoul is expected to request Washington to speed along the diplomatic uh, protocol process to approve the new ambassador appointee, which usually takes over a month. So since June is traveling to the U.S. within a month, um, they obviously want that process to uh, get uh, quicker. Uh, now, Cho Tae-yong, the new national security advisor, stressed the importance of the presidential office and the national security team working as one team, in his words, in his first remarks to reporters uh, since his appointment. He's quick to get uh, his... Um, He's been quick uh, mm -hmm. to assume his role as soon as he took office. Now, overall, President Yoon seems to be uh, speeding up the process to reshuffle uh, both his diplomacy and security officials before his trip to the U.S. So we'll have to see if all those legal and uh, formal procedures do get completed by then. All right. And with that, we move on to our final keyword of the day. Strong military. So the U.S. is highly assessing the capabilities of South Korea military as North Korea's weapons provocations are continuing. Yeah, that's right. So the chief of the U.S. Army, uh, James C. McConville, said the South Korean military has uh, good fighting capabilities, in his words. He was reporting to a question on how Seoul's military would fare against uh, North Korea. And he noted that North Korea shouldn't be underestimated, but uh, thought South Korea had the capability to fend off any attacks with health. Uh, with help uh, from the U.S. Now, he was speaking uh, on a, a number of issues, uh, military-related, including uh, possible scenarios of uh, invasions of Taiwan and uh, involvement of China and how uh, countries in the Indo-Pacific would respond to that as well and how well they could respond um, to that. So North Korea was just uh, something that he touched upon there as well. Uh, the U.S. State Department, meanwhile, seemed adamant on keeping a nuclear-free uh, Korean Peninsula, meanwhile, the department spokesperson said the U.S. maintains a denuclearization policy um, on the uh, peninsula uh, that came after kind of queries into whether South Korea should uh, have nuclear weapons or if they should get any uh, nuclear help uh, as well. So uh, it seems like uh, South Korea kind of backtracked on that kind of uh, ambition to mm. have nuclear weapons uh, back uh, or on the Korean Peninsula. Uh, but the U.S. seemingly seems uh, to be putting its foot down, saying no nuclear weapons, uh, both in mm -hmm. South Korea and North Korea. Thank you very much, Adam, for keeping us informed this entire week. We'll see you again next Monday. You're very welcome. Excuse me for my hay fever, uh, but I hope we get better and I'll see you next week.
If you're listening to our program using the podcast service, just a reminder that we do go live Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Korea Standard Time. So tune in and help us make the show more informative by giving us your input. See you bright and early on Good Morning Seoul.